Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. Welcome to Book Dreams. I'm Julie Sternberg, and today we're doing things a little differently. When I walked into the recording studio this morning, I saw Eve, my co-host, already sitting in front of her mic, sound checks complete, headphones in place, proving yet again that no matter how hard I try, she will always be the one in charge. I said to myself, when will it be my time to shine? Grab the moment myself, grab it. Then I said to Eve, there's a kitten trapped in that closet, Eve. She's always had a soft spot for kittens. She leapt to the rescue, of course. That's the sort of person she is. After she'd pulled open the closet door, I shoved her in, slammed the door, and pushed a dresser in front of it. Then I proceeded to conduct an interview all by myself with the incomparable mystery writer, Sarah Grant. There are moments during the interview when you can hear softly in the background Eve's muffled voice saying, help, I'm in a closet and I can't get out. Just ignore that. Now I'm wondering, how long will I manage to hold on to power? Will anyone rescue Eve? And if so, when? <laughs> okay, um, Julie. <laughs> no. Yes? I- I'm not locked in a closet. I know. (laughs) We're not even in the same apartment, and I am definitely not in charge, though I admit I'm compulsively organized and often have our shared Google Doc open before you do. But would you please tell our listeners what actually happened? What actually happened is that I said to you, I'd like to try to talk to Sarah Grant about writing suspense because I'm struggling as I try to write it, and I think she could be really helpful, plus I think it'd be an interesting episode for listeners. She's the author of this really atmospheric, somewhat philosophical crime fiction series starring the detective Claire DeWitt, along with a bunch of other really well-regarded books. Plus, she's just started her own small press called Dreamland Books, and you said, sounds great, do it. Wait. Do you actually feel like I'm always the one in charge? Because if you do, I want to work on that part of our relationship. Never. I just wanted to try my hand at writing a tiny bit of suspense for us. As you can see, I need help. And Sarah was so great at providing it. We started with me trying to give her a sense of where I was coming from. Here we go. So I'm a children's book writer, and I don't mean young adult I mean, young children. Mm -hmm. So my books to date have covered, you know, spine tingling topics like Eleanor has gone to summer camp and she hates every second of it. Like, (laughs) will she be okay? You know, or Eleanor has done a mean thing to her best friend and she feels bad. Eleanor sounds terrible. She's going around fucking everything up all the time. Call Child Protective Services. (laughs) Right, right. Um, But for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, I'm having a midlife crisis or slightly post midlife crisis or, (laughs) you know, I'm having a COVID crisis, for whatever reason, I find myself compelled to write something suspenseful for adults. And I'm finding this daunting given my writing background. And I came across your helpful essay in Crime Reads on writing suspense. And then I read some of your many books and I thought, oh, I hope Sarah will talk to me. And here we are. Thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. Well, it is my pleasure and I am here to help. You know, I think speaking of middle age, when you get to be a certain age, the joy you get from your career is not just from doing it, but from helping others to do it. So 
whatever I can do, it is more fun for me than spending the day writing my own shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something both um, simultaneously so rewarding and so awful about writing that unless you do it all day, it's like inexplicable. Yeah. So can we start just by saying what we mean when we say suspense? Is it as simple as that element that keeps readers turning the pages and wanting to know what happens next? Well, it's funny because when I wrote that piece, I realized I was conflating two things. And one is what we call mm -hmm. that compelling quality or unputdownable quality, which can come from a lot of things. It usually comes from suspense, but it doesn't have to. It can come from just a major investment in your characters. And suspense, I think, is a little trickier to define in and of itself. And I always think of that there's a moment in North by Northwest, the Hitchcock movie. Yeah, when, yeah. I think it's Cary Grant. Someone is falling off one of the mountains in Mount Rushmore and he grabs someone's hand and then he loses their hand and then he grabs their jacket and then the jacket starts to rip. Right. So it's, it's a burning desire to know what happens next, I think, is part of how we design suspense. But it is also combined with that compelling, unputdownable quality that comes from investment in the character and in the scene. So when I wrote that, I kind of glossed all this over because that was a craft essay and not a philosophical essay about how we define words. But I do think it's a bit of a tricky thing to define. I want to talk a little bit more about this character building element. So I'm going to read from the essay for a second. You say, as the first step to writing suspense, create a character that people care about. You do this by creating a well-rounded, complicated character with all the quirks, foibles, and unpredictable impulses that real people have, and by getting your reader inside that character's head. Readers will keep turning pages if they care about this person, even if they don't care about you know, veterinary science or who killed who or whatever is going on in your book. So this step makes me happy because creating a character that people care about has always been a top priority when I write. Yes, you created Eleanor, our demented youth Eleanor. <laughs> right. Um, and I just want to say that you do such a great job of this in your Claire DeWitt mystery series and in, in other books. I just want to talk about Claire DeWitt for a second. In Claire DeWitt and the City of the Dead, for example, it has a compelling mystery involving a disappearance at its heart. But even more than wanting to know what happened to the man who disappeared, I really wanted to know how this very unusual private investigator with her non-conforming methods, how she was going to approach solving the mystery and, and whether she would succeed. Like, I, I wasn't 100% sure she would. So how did you come up with Claire and the unusual philosophy that guides her? Do you remember it's a lot of stuff. I mean, it's a whole lifetime of stuff that goes into a book. And Claire is a very autobiographical character, mm. uh, not in the good, fun, exciting ways, because I don't go out there and, and get in gunfights and solve mysteries, but, but in a lot of the personality traits and a lot of her personal history. And as I think I mentioned in the essay, a lot of writing comes from listening and paying attention to people. And I think when people approach this genre in particular, thrillers, crime, mysteries, this whole crime, we'll call it genre, right, to have a big umbrella, we want to draw inspiration from other writers, but we don't want to write from other writers when we create our characters. One thing I think I got right in that book and why it speaks to so many people, and I'm sure I got a lot wrong as well, to be fair, is that I kind of balanced bringing these elements of classical mysteries, modern mysteries, all those things, but the character is not drawn to some other detective so much as drawn from actual life. 
So I think when you're creating a character like that, you really need to, it ties into who you are as a person. Are you paying attention to the people around you? Are you listening to the people around you? Are you curious about the people around you? And people are really, really contradictory. Right. The vast majority of humans are not all good or all bad. The vast majority of people uh, don't understand themselves that well, don't understand why they're doing what they do. So I think getting into that stuff is part of how you create a character that really sings on the page. I love that you brought yourself into it too. I, I, my very first writing teacher was a woman named Amy Hest, who writes a lot of picture books and some, you know, middle grade. And she would always look at us, you know, and me in particular, when I would bring in something and she would say, where is the Julie in this? She had this philosophy that almost any main character has to have, no matter what the context, some of you in it. And that might be going too far, but I do think it helps to try to think that way as you think about a protagonist. If you look at it from a real psychoanalytic point of view, I think all of your characters have something of you in them. I don't know if uh, as writers we could conjure these beings up and have them really be three-dimensional and really play well on the page if we didn't have some part of us that was them. And again, like I said, people are contradictory. So to use a really sort of trite, obvious example, if you're writing a villain who is a serial killer, well, I've never killed anyone, serially or singularly, nor do (laughs) I want to, nor is that something I have any interest in doing. But there's a part of me that has become overwhelmed with rage and overwhelmed by the desire to just eliminate someone. If there's someone in your social group or a job or your building or you have to encounter and you just fucking wish they were gone. Or I can relate to having so much rage and just wanting an outlet for it and and realize that I'm projecting that rage onto a person who hasn't really done anything wrong. And I think if there's qualities that you really despise in a person, those can be really fruitful too. If you hate something that other people are doing, it's because it reflects a part of yourself, right? Unless it's directly affecting you. One thing I always observe is when people say, oh, she or he, they were just walking down the street as if blah, blah, blah. Or they just came in the room as if they owned the place. Well, there is no special way to come in a room and there is no special way to walk down the street. That's all you. And that is a part of yourself that you are not uh, accepting and integrating. That is also useful fuel for both writing your negative characters and your primary characters, but also for, you know, self-exploration and how can I have some compassion for these characters and that part of myself. So I think it's, it's intertwined. Yeah. I have a friend who's a psychologist and sometimes I'll tell her a story about how furious I am with someone, you know, often a family member, but not always. And, and she'll say, she'll sort of pause and I can tell as I'm saying it, that it's not fully rational. And she'll say, I'm interested in the strength of that reaction. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's not about them, actually. It's about something in me, something in my past or my present that's causing me to overblow. Yeah, I think if you can kind of get into that as a writer, that really helps you build your characters. Because like I said, it's both accepting the anger and the rage and the negative emotions, but also how do you find that point of compassion? Part of that is by recognizing it in yourself. So it's this two-way street between you and your character. Right. Your use of setting, and specifically New Orleans shortly after Hurricane Katrina, contributes quite a bit, I think, to the suspense in Claire DeWitt and the City of the Dead. You know, the lawlessness of the city at the time and the breakdown of the criminal justice system, all of that, I think, factors into the sense that anything could happen 
How much thought do you think writers should give to place when they're setting out to write suspense? Infinite thought, infinite thought. I don't think you can overthink it. And I think that if you just write about a place that you have a strong feeling about, love it or hate it, it's just like I'm saying with characters. If you delve into that relationship, why do I love this? Why can I not stand this? What does that say about me? And how is that reflected in the book and bring some consciousness to all of that? Uh, That can be advantageous. I am fascinated by the fact that after writing many acclaimed successful novels with established publishing houses, you have started your own publishing company, Dreamland Books, and that you've launched it with the very successful release of your latest book, The Book of the Most Precious Substance. I know a lot of authors by this point in my writing career. I don't know a single one who hasn't had frustration with the established publishing houses. I mean, I guess if you're Jeff Kinney, author of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and your publisher is creating massive, you know, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade balloons of your characters to Mm -hmm. fly over the streets of Manhattan, maybe you're happy. But the rest of us think things like, you know, how could you possibly think that's a good title for my book? So a lot of us, I think, have had the thought, like, I would rather do this myself. But you're the only one I know who's actually started her own publishing company. Can you talk about the concrete elements or some of them that you wanted to control yourself and what the pros and cons so far have been of having the company? Sure. I wanted to control everything myself. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's who I am. You know, I've done this a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I published my first book more than 20 years ago. So I had kind of been through every possible permutation other than that big float in the Thanksgiving Day Parade. That I have not had. (laughs) But I had been with mid-sized publishers, smaller publishers, bigger publishers. There's a lot of wonderful things about all of them, a lot of wonderful people in all of them. The system is also going through a bit of a breakdown. You know, they've become these giant corporations, and they're Walmart, basically. There's a huge irony to me in the massive criticisms, all of which are completely justified, that everybody has for Amazon, but people do not have those same criticisms for Simon's Random House of Penguins as I call the publishing industry. (laughs) So, you know, the editorial assistants are starting at about the same wage as the Amazon warehouse workers are, or perhaps less. They probably have a longer time period before they start their benefits because Amazon has responded a bit to the pressure. And I'm not at all defending Amazon or their practices here. I am explicitly just saying that the whole business has this problem. All the money goes up top and not enough goes down below. So that just leads it to be not very pleasant to work in. And it's less pleasant every year. When I first started working in publishing, big editors had secretaries and administrators. There were all of these jobs that just don't exist anymore. And as an author, that made your experience a lot more pleasant and it made it a lot more functional. Yeah. So I gave up getting an advance and I spent a lot of money on the book. I did everything sort of the most expensive way possible because I could, and it all paid off, fortunately. I know not everyone can do that. Right. But it's a very frustrating environment to work in, big publishing, and more and more all the time. And it was sort of sad to go on Twitter and see all the editors talking about how they are so overworked. Because we can sometimes, if we're not having a good publishing experience, think of our editors and our publicists as the enemy. I've certainly done that. And I've had great ones, and I've had ones that are not great. But they're all just human beings. And uh, to see that they're really not. So who's getting all the money? Who's getting all the good times? It's not the writers. Apparently, it's not anyone under publisher level working at these publishers. 
Well, it's it's the people who own the companies. It's the same group of rich white guys who own Walmart, who own Amazon, own the publishers. There's no difference here just because they're making books. So those are kind of big picture reasons as to why I think the system is just not working that well, especially for people like me, the midlist author. Um, there's other reasons too. I wanted to do everything myself. I love books. I had always wanted to give this a try. I had always wanted to be more involved in the design process of the design of the book and the text of the book were really coherent and really presented a creative package that made sense and that um, propped up the story rather than distracted from it. I worked in bookstores for a number of years. So I had a lot of very on the ground experience of like, don't put that here. It will be covered by a price tag type experience, <laughs> just really, really right. basic stuff, let alone the bigger esoteric stuff. Like I was just talking about the packaging, serving the story of the book. And I just realized if I'm going to spend a lot of time on this, I'd rather spend all the time for myself. Like I could spend all my time arguing with the people at my publishing house about why we're not doing this, that, or the other thing, or I could just spend that time doing the fucking thing. So I'd rather just do the fucking thing. That's just my personality. So that's not going to work for everyone. I will also say, and I say this all the time in every interview, authors specifically, not other kinds of writers, authors of fiction, book authors, book novelists are the most passive group of people I have ever met (laughs) when it comes to managing their careers. About a year ago, when I sent out a newsletter saying, oh, you know, I think I I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not happy. I think I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not quite sure what, but I just can't keep going like this because I was not happy. Some of the letters I got from other writers, bigger names than me in many cases, were astonishing of the shit that they had put up with for years and years and years. And it's like no one returned my phone call for three years. So then with the next book, and I'm like, there was a next book after no one returned your phone call for three years? Tell them to go fuck themselves and move on with your life. Yeah. So there's something about, I don't know if it's a psychology of the business. I think there is a real sort of weakness and timidity in a lot of novelists these days in general and what they write in addition to how they approach their careers. Mm. I don't understand it because I have the opposite problem of, like I said, tooting my own horn and being a bit full of myself and being a bit like, fuck it, I can do anything. And I made a ton of mistakes, of course, doing this. I, I cannot do anything. I did a lot wrong. But I don't know why more writers don't do it. I did have the money to spend to do it. but So not every writer does, but plenty do, and they're still not doing it. So one thing I want to do is put together a little series. I don't know if it's going to be a written thing or a video, but just really outlining step-by-step what I did. And as I said before, one thing that you like doing when you get older is you don't want to just do the thing to do the thing for yourself. You want to sort of create a path for other people. So one motivation in doing this was just sort of create that little trail through the woods for any other mid-career writer who might want to do the same thing. It seems like in the last 10 years, even maybe five years, there have been changes that have made it much more doable. They're phenomenal freelance editors. They're freelance designers, freelance copy editors and proofreaders. There's higher quality printing. You know, it's a little more affordable. Yeah, every other creative industry has sort of caught up to this except writing. I mean, my husband's a musician and musicians have been doing this, of course, since you could press records, you know, it's totally normal and acceptable for any musician to go and just make their own 45 or upload something or whatever they want to do, whatever medium they want to use. That's never been seen as like shameful or like a dirty little secret or 
uh, stigmatized at all. And of course, in film, it's really different because film is a very expensive art form. Mm -hmm. But even so, there's a lot of great movies out there. What's his name? Sean Baker. I'm not that familiar with his work, but he makes movies. He made this movie Tangerine a couple of years ago on an iPhone. Yeah, It was a fancy iPhone with a lot of equipment on it. But filmmakers are, again, they're lauded for going their own way and doing their own work for just grabbing a camera and going to do it to the extent that they can. And for some reason with writing, people who are supposedly, you know, artistic people with some insight into society, one would hope that as writers, we would have some streak of wanting to see things our own way. And instead, we're all sort of kissing this corporate ass. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't understand it. I feel like if you are not a successful writer, get the fuck out of the industry because it's not working for you. And if you are a successful writer, get the fuck out of the industry because you can't. As you say, there is the money at the front end problem. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I did everything in the very expensive way. I hired an expensive publicist, book designer. I had a part-time assistant. If you have time, you could do a lot of what I paid other people to do. Right. And you can also just put the book up as a Kindle. Right. You know, and again, Amazon's not great. None of us want to give Amazon more money. But if they are giving you an opportunity that Simon & Schuster, who is not necessarily, or or any, I don't want to pick on Simon & Schuster just because I had such a negative experience with them. But if you're looking at, you know, Hachette, I've published a lot of books with Hachette around the world, great experiences. I don't know who the fuck owns Hachette, but they don't need my money any more than Jeff Bezos needs my money. It is not publishers good guys versus Amazon bad guys. So I just want to be clear about that, that they're all, they're just guys, guys who are making a lot of money off of all of us. Right. And there's always the fear of marketing dollars, not understanding marketing, all of that. But my recent experience with publishers is, you know, they're not doing much anyway. No, that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is they're like, how am I going to get the word out? And I'm always telling them, I understand that it's a real concern, but you're also probably going to have that concern at Random House. The Random House publicist is probably not going to make a priority out of your book. And again, not knocking them. They're a lovely person, I'm sure, our hypothetical Random House publicist. But they have 25 other books on their plate, and they're going to pick the one that they think will really sell. It might not be yours. So you're kind of going to be in the same boat either way. And I wanted to say one more thing before we sign off, because I was thinking about something this whole time. And when you said you write children's books at the beginning, I think... Don't underestimate that that is somewhat applicable to writing thrillers, you know, because you can never underestimate the power of learning to write something in plain spoken English. You have learned how to write a story that a eight-year-old or whatever your target age group is could understand. I think that will serve you incredibly well learning how to write a straightforward version of a very complicated thriller. Thank you. I will um, write that on a piece of paper and tape it to my wall. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's correct. Great. Thank you so much. I love this conversation so much. I love Sarah's no holds barred candor, and I love the way she debunks myths. That was obvious as we talked about publishing, but I feel the same way about her writing advice. I sometimes worry as I try to write suspense that there's a secret recipe that I haven't found. And until I do, I'm getting it all wrong. But Sarah's advice reminds me, writing is never easy, but the skills that we've both worked so hard on in the children's book genre, you know, development of characters, setting, pacing, setting complicated thoughts and emotions down clearly, 
all of those skills are still the critical ones in crime fiction, mysteries, thrillers, whether we're writing for adults, whether we're writing for children, it doesn't matter. Also, this series that she's creating about all of the various steps that she's taken as she begins her small press, that is so generous of her to create that record, and I cannot wait to see it. Sarah's decision to start her own press reminds me of something a friend of mine once said to me when I was starting my writing career and feeling frustrated about ever finding a publisher for my books. He listened to me complain at great length, and then he said, why would you ever make someone else responsible for your happiness? And then he told me to self-publish. I was way too scared to do it at the time, which is one reason I so admire Sarah's bravery and her wish to help other writers be just as brave. I agree. And I think that is it for this episode of the Book Dreams podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast and think someone else would too, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. As always, you can reach us at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Sarah at www.worldsbestdetective.com. Many thanks to our producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find Eve at eveyohallam.com and me at juliesternberg.com. And check out the podcast website, www.bookdreamspodcast.com. Until next time, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. Come, come listen to Book Dreams with Julie.